And so when we talk about the objectification in our culture and the way it divides us into parts and causes us to look at ourselves as objects, we need people to recognize that as the real root of this problem. It's not that women don't feel beautiful, it's that they are fully defined by beauty. You can change the definition of what is beautiful all day long, but if it still causes you to put beauty and feeling beautiful as the most important thing about your self-worth, we will come up short. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Absolutely delighted that you're here today. Thanks for thanks for hitting play on this one, because right now we're in a series called For the Love of You. Laura and Amanda and I and our teams have just been talking at length about where we want the podcast to go, what, what series we really kind of are hungry for, what we think is needed in our community, what is a shared pain point. And over and over and over again, this topic comes up. This is just something that literally every one of us deals with. And it's, it's this idea of how we feel about our bodies. This, this whole massively complex notion of body image. And for most of us, at least at some point, if not still, it has been a major source of frustration, pain, suffering for as long as we can remember, really it's, we were conditioned to feel this way about ourselves. We were not born this way. And we're going to talk about this. We were not born this way. We're not born hating the way that we looked or having some sort of idealized image that we were trying to fit. We were taught it and we were taught it for a reason. We were taught it because it's profitable. So with social media, Every commercial, every movie, every magazine, of course, telling us that we have to look a certain way to be loved, to be accepted, that we need to fight aging with everything in us. It's just no surprise that it is really hard for us to learn to love the body that we've been given. This has been work that I have engaged. I feel like in a kind of intentional way for about five years, maybe. I think I was just tired of hating myself. If that's okay to say, I mean, just exhausted of spending this much mental energy and engaging yet another stupid fad diet or some dumb thing or some thing that doesn't even make sense. Just in order to hit some size or some look, I think I just got tired of it. And it felt mean. It felt really mean to hate my body when she has been with me every single second of my life. You know, I wrote about this in Fierce. I wrote a chapter on what I was learning about embodiment and how to feel about my body. That's where I always tell you that Dr. Hillary McBride taught me to call my body a she or a her because she is me, not just some externalized container for somebody else to look at, but she is me. And I wrote this whole chapter in fierce about how my body has given me every good experience I've ever had. Every good thing I've ever seen with my eyes or tasted with my mouth or felt in my arms or heard with my ears. Like my body has given me a beautiful life. And I think I was just tired of being mean to her. I think I was tired of feeling like I was at war with her instead of loving her for all that she's done, for all that she's overcome, for all the places she has carried me and sustained me. 
I love this quote, you guys, positive body image isn't believing your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good, regardless of how it looks. Isn't that powerful? That's the mission of my guests today, Lexi and Lindsay Kite. They are twin sisters. They are co-authors of the book, More Than a Body. They are co-directors of their nonprofit called Beauty Redefined. And their research has been cited in the New York Times, CNBC, Boston Globe, Teen Vogue, on and on. Their goal is to help women reject the harmful effects of objectification in our lives through social media reach, through their online body image resilience course. We're going to talk about what they mean by body image resilience. It's pretty powerful. And then of course, all their speaking engagements too. And so this conversation is really important and they are really wise. These are really, really wise thinkers and leaders here. I just was kind of hanging on their every word as they talked. They're very like animated and they're so easy to listen to because they're just pulling you in with constant hope and a different way and a different story and a different narrative. I think one that we're all really, really hungry for, and they make it possible and within reach that we can learn to tamp down body shame and fear and triggers and reconnect with our body in a way that is healthy and good. And the way that we were really always meant to live. This is the good stuff, you guys. It really is. And this is the real work we're putting in today so that we can love ourselves, love our bodies as a part of who we are and the way in which we get to experience this world. Both of these girls are incredibly credentialed together. They went through their master's and their PhD programs. This is where their research has been centered and located. And I think in my opinion, because you know, I'm doing this work too. I'm, I'm consciously doing this work right now to make peace with my own body. I think they've got a real missing piece of the conversation, something that I don't actually hear in some other work around this discussion. It feels liberating and fresh and new and possible. If you have ever felt at war with your own good body, if you hate the mirror, if you are so mean to your own self or obsessed with body thoughts. This is your episode today, you guys. These are two incredible leaders. And I'm so, so pleased to share my conversation with the smart and wonderful Lexi and Lindsay Kite. Lexi and Lindsay, thank you so, so, so much for saying yes to this invitation for being on the show and particularly in this series. I'm just delighted to meet you both. Oh, thank you so much. We are so excited to talk to you. I'm Lindsay and yeah. my twin sister is Lexi. Lexi's yeah. in Salt Lake City at the moment and yeah. I live in New York City. So we do this from across the country, but we grew up with very twin lives and very parallel interests and passions, which got us into this work. We grew up feeling really self-conscious of our bodies, like every other yeah. young woman in the world seems to. Yeah. And that led us down a path of eventually figuring out what the issue was there. So Lexi's in Salt Lake City with her husband and her two little baby girls, well, 18-month-old and a four-year-old, and they are really great. But I'm here in New York City, single and dating and just living my best life. I'm trying my very best too, but it is very humid here. 
It's so hot in New York. People so who don't know that don't know that. They're like, it's so far up there. It's gotta be oh. cool. No, it's an oven. It is an and oven yeah. in the summer. Growing up in the desert in Utah and Idaho, I am not prepared for this and my body will not adapt. <laughs> the heat coming off the pavement is not sustainable. It just it's isn't. Like I, I, I've been to New York in the summer a couple of times and I'm like, that's it. I'm not coming back. I will be yes. here in September. I will see it's you really in gross. September, New York, when you turn into a magical wonderland. Exactly. Uh, which it really does. And we work together from afar across the country. We run the nonprofit Beauty Redefined and we've done that since... 2011, when it became nice. a nonprofit, we wrote the book More Than a Body, as you mentioned, and we do a lot on social media activism related to body image and helping people, most importantly, to see that they are more than just bodies. I want to talk to you more about this because so, so many girls, most, I don't really know, but don't ever get to hear the message that their bodies are good, but they, they do get a lot of messages telling them what a good body should look like. For sure. That comes across like loud and clear. So I want, I would like to hear you both talk about that. We know it, but I'd like to hear it from your mouths. What it is currently like as a young girl moving like all the way up into womanhood, what we hear, what we see, what we are told. And then alternatively, I want to hear you talk about how you are creating a space. How do we do this? How do we create a space that encourages young girls who become women to really like embrace who they are and how they, and this is where I really love what you key, on, key in on, how they exist in the world outside of how they look. Writing the book, it really allowed us to be vulnerable in a new way, which is so important. So I share journal entries in my book about, in our book, about times when I was so young and so worried and embarrassed by my body. I remember being in it must have been second grade. I was like seven or eight, whatever you are in second grade. And I remember sitting down with all the other kids kneeling in a circle for reading time. And I looked down at my little girl thighs in my spandex floral shorts. And I thought, my thighs are bigger than everybody else's thighs. What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? And I went through what I was eating, what I was drinking. If I wasn't moving enough, I thought I was so uniquely bad and wrong. Little did I know, regardless of size or shape, Almost all of the other girls in that class would come to believe the same thing about their bodies. Similar experience for me too. Lexi and I were swimmers from a really young age, and that was something that was really good for our body image. You're out there, you're using your body. It's an instrument for your use, not an ornament to be looked at, as we always say. And unfortunately, I became aware of how I looked in my swimsuit starting at about age eight years old or so, again, right around that same age, when before it was really just a vehicle through which I moved through my life and swam and was competitive. But at this point, I remember coming home from swimming practice and standing in front of this full-length mirror that I had in my bedroom, which I would probably recommend little kids don't have a full-length mirror in their bedroom. But I remember seeing this dimple in the side of my thigh and knowing how my mom talked about dimples in her bum and legs. And I just felt so embarrassed and self-conscious that I had this and I was so little and so young. Why would I have to have this? And again, went back to my choices about what am I eating? What am I drinking? Why am I wrong? Why am I bad and looking this way? I actually felt like if I kept my hand over my thigh, that I wouldn't have to be embarrassed to be out on deck at swimming anymore. Like I could just physically cover that up and then no one would feel bad for me or look down on me or whatever. It's just heartbreaking to think back on those mm -hmm. experiences. 
it's heartbreaking and ubiquitous. I'm going to go ahead and guess virtually every woman listening today is nodding their head. They can think of it. They can think of the first time they heard somebody say something negative about their body. And it was kind of shocking because we're not meant to feel that way inside these, these bodies of ours. And I mean, I can't do, I, it's as vivid as it, as if it happened yesterday. Totally. One thing that we teach and like kind of the metaphor our book revolves around is the idea that for, for little girls, especially we grow up in a world that convinces us that we are bodies first and people second, that if we monitor and evaluate and control the way our bodies look, the way we appear to others, whether they are people we care about or not, just people walking past us on the street, that that is how we'll gain love, control, health happiness, power, all the things. We are bodies first and people second. And so when you are young, we ask people to look back on the times in their life where they did feel themselves kind of split. It's this process called self-objectification. If you live in a world that continuously asks you to disconnect from yourself, to look at yourself from the outside, to judge and compare and change and flaunt and fix your life away, you're living outside of yourself, not inside of your home, not inside of your body as an instrument for your use, for your experience, for your pleasure and joy. You're living as an ornament for everybody else. It doesn't really matter, you know, if you're ornamental, but we all believe that we are ornamental first. And so through media, through cultural ideals, through institutions that say they care about us, through people that love us, we learn to split from ourselves. We learn that in order to be happy, we need to fix ourselves from the roots in our hair to the color of our toenails and literally every inch in between. We break it all down. The goal here, the work Lindsay and I do is different than what a lot of people do because we know that beauty isn't going to save you. That believing that you are beautiful, that your flaws make you beautiful, that your body is beautiful, that is good. But beauty will not save you. If we continue to rely on these aesthetic, ornamental ideals to be our source of power, to fix us, will never be fixed because this is an internal problem. We are more than bodies. We are more than beauty. We are more than our flaws that make us beautiful. Lens, do you want to jump in? Yeah, we feel like that's the missing piece of the puzzle in this body image conversation is the aspect of objectification that our culture inflicts upon us. From the media messages we see, the ways interpersonal relationships so focus on women's bodies and beauty, we grow up from the time we're really young being invited into those waters of objectification and learning to view our bodies from the outside as if we're strangers. And more specifically, as if we're heterosexual male strangers looking in at a sexualized female body. That's why we judge ourselves. We hate ourselves. We fall short in every possible way because we learn to prioritize this outside perspective on our bodies, which are such a tiny facet of our bodies and more importantly, a tiny facet of who we really are. And so when we talk about the objectification in our culture and the way it divides us into parts and causes us to look at ourselves as objects, we need people to recognize that as the real root of this problem. It's not that women don't feel beautiful. It's that they are fully defined by beauty. You can change the definition of what is beautiful all day long, but if it still causes you to put beauty and feeling beautiful as the most important thing about your self-worth, we will come up short because of the nature of this environment that, as you said, banks on our insecurity, capitalizes on our shame, and wants us to buy into that for the rest of our lives, which most of us do. Mm. Yeah, that really is resonant with me. 
because you know you sort of catalog in your work these are sometimes the new practices if you will that we've been taught to embrace about your flaws are beautiful and all things i've heard all yeah. things that i've been instructed to like recalibrate the way i am imagining envisioning assessing my body but it's still about it it's still about yeah. <laughs> how i look it's still it's in the same category. And so when you say, you know, I think the work here is to helicopter entirely out of the metric. I'm like, oh, that's new. Like that's <laughs> yeah. new. That's a new idea. And I want to hear you talk about it because we're literally never taught that. I mean, really never, not, not overtly, not covertly, not subtly, not never. And so I would love, okay, here's my, here's my next two part. Number one, how in the world did you two get to a place? What was it? Or was it, maybe it was a series of, I don't know. How did you get to a place where you knew this was going to be your work and you were salient enough to know where to start reaching? Because you really had to pull yourself right out of the system in order to do it. And then I would like you to talk more about this whole idea of we should not be measuring ourselves in by this measuring stick at all. Even some of these attempts at body positivity for women still keep us like trapped in the machine. So I'd like it like personal and then span it out a little bit and start talking about what this actually looks like. So for Lindsay and me, we grew up feeling super defined by and confined by our bodies for a million reasons. I think that we were totally normal in that respect. All of our friends felt the same way. We all knew our weight on certain, you can look back at a picture and I knew what I weighed, you know? I always felt like I needed to be thinner and I needed to be prettier and then I would be lovable. Then I'd be happy. Then I'd be successful, popular, whatever the thing might be. And our freshman year of college, Lindsay and I were trying not to be such twins we are good at the same things. We're interested in the same things. We were trying to be so different. So we were both studying journalism, but we took different classes. Wow. Yeah, Wild. we did that much. Uh -huh. Wild. So I remember going to this required class for journalists about media literacy, understanding why media is created the way it is, who profits from it, how does it impact us? I sat in that classroom my first day. It felt like a spiritual experience. I heard my professors just introduce the idea that the objectification of women is for profit, that it is hurting every single one of us, that people are producing the flaws that we should believe we have and the solutions to those flaws. My heart pounded faster. I, I felt like I have been impacted by this. I, I knew how much time I had spent in that prison of my body. I went home to our shared dorm room told Lindsay about it. And she said, I had the exact same experience. You don't even need to tell me. And that was the beginning of a 10 year college journey, bachelor's, master's, PhDs without taking a break, where we began to study what self-objectification is, the root of this problem, self-objectification, a focus on the body, a focus on our outsides at the expense of our humanity, and then how to get out of it. Because the thing was in research, in our dissertation research, we were not finding an answer to the way out. We found a lot of research about how hard it is for girls, how disordered eating and shame and all the things that come along with it. But there wasn't a way out. And we were blessed, inspired to find work in resilience, 
that gave us a pathway out of self-objectification. And that's this work in body image resilience. Honestly, the doors have been thrown open for me and Lindsay to get where we are. We did not know. We are women in bodies that still experience body shame. We still experience self-objectification even every day. And yet, because of the work that Lindsay will talk about, our work in body image resilience, this missing piece to the puzzle, every time that shame rises up, every time I compare myself to somebody, every time I try on a pair of jeans that don't fit, whatever the thing is, I can come back home to myself much quicker, much easier. It doesn't hurt so bad. Body image resilience is banking and based on the fact that we're all going to experience this pain. It's inevitable. You don't become a body image expert and suddenly feel great about your body. That's good to hear. Yes. This is a continuous process. But Linz, do you want to talk a bit about resilience? Yeah. This is something that is both personal and professional for us, as you can imagine. No one gets into this research, does a PhD in it without being very personally affected by it. So we're very much invested in this on multiple levels. And I think that's really helpful because we can speak about it from a place of deep knowing and understanding what it feels like to have that shame, what it feels like to try to hide and fix your body and have that be sold to you as the solution to all of your problems. And then even when you do those things, you do reach the body goals or whatever that you had in mind, your problems aren't solved. And so that's one way that I think we kind of learned the hard way that fitting those ideals, playing this game within the rules of objectification will not fix your problems. It doesn't improve your confidence, even body confidence. And Mm -hmm. that's what we started to find in research. I think our personal experience helped us know the right questions to ask people. And so all of our research revolved around these ideas of, number one, how do you feel about your body? How are you describing your body? Through that, we're able to identify whether people are self-objectifying or not, which most women are. You'll describe your body in ways that reflect how you see it and of course, how negatively you see it and your fears of how other people look at your body. That shows how you're looking at yourself as an outsider. You've split from that body that has been your home your entire life and you're just seeing it from afar. And what we found is that, especially in getting into this work on social media, we found that there were a couple different ways that people were trying to approach this problem. There's the big ways through really mainstream body positivity. So think like Dove campaigns and things like that, that really put this on the map for a lot of people. They're saying all bodies are beautiful. Your flaws make you beautiful. Embrace these bodies because they look great, even if they don't look like the mainstream ideals. And what we were finding is that this wasn't actually fixing anyone's body image issues. It's really refreshing to see body diversity, and we will be champions of that forever. We need to see much more diversity in shape, size, ethnicity, race, every possible facet. But unfortunately, as those things are happening and as body positivity is really catching fire on social media, we're seeing that people are just still looking at bodies. They might be seeing more bodies as beautiful, but they're still just seeing bodies and valuing bodies as something to be seen, especially their own bodies, which is what causes the real problems here. We are looking at our bodies as objects. And so the solution for us is really the light at the end of this tunnel. We're objectifying. We feel this shame. We continue to deal with shame and cope with shame in all the same ways we always have under this umbrella of just your body looks good. And that's through coping. 
fixing, trying to hide your body, trying to alter your body to fit these ideals. None of that was helping anyone. And the solution was this pathway out in body image resilience to be able to flex those muscles, to build the tools and the skill set that you keep with you. And every time you face one of these body image disruptions, every time that shame rises up because you're comparing yourself to someone else, someone makes a rude comment, you can't fit into your clothes from before COVID. All of these things cause that shame and self-objectification to come to the surface. And yet those are the moments that remind us we need to react. We need to get back to our bodies instead of splitting from them, separating and judging and fixing them from the outside because that stuff never served us. So the first step is seeing how you've suffered under this realm of objectification and recognizing what it feels like when you do split from your body because it sucks and it's painful Mm. and it should feel more foreign to us than it does. But unfortunately, it's invisible for so many people because it's so natural. Mm. million thoughts. (laughs) Million. I, I appreciate you saying a good place to start is just to recognize the pain and what it feels like to split. I think I'd love to hear you talk more about what you have learned, what you've discovered, what this resilience means. Like, what does it actually mean? What does this look like in play? What does it look like in practice? What are the evidences of it and how How do you teach us to start flexing a muscle that maybe some of us have never used to the point where, as you so lovely, you mentioned in such a lovely way, the the return home is quicker, which is true. We can form new pathways. And so if we start with just a deep acknowledgement, like this isn't working and just an alternative way to think about our bodies isn't necessarily helpful either. This is painful then what? How do we build? What does resilience mean? So we like to think about body positivity as kind of the first step. It's really this entry point for people to be able to see bodies differently. It helps us to get rid of that fat phobia that is so so internalized for so many of us. It helps us to start to value bodies that look different from what we've been taught they should look like. And so that is an important entry point for a lot of people. But what we found there, again, is that people are still fixated on how they look. And so acknowledging that seeing pictures and feeling kind of inspired by seeing women who are beautiful, who look similar to you or bigger than you or whatever you had internalized as kind of a wrong way to be, that's a really great starting point. And then we need to get to the point where we no longer want to be so fixated on how we look. That gets so deeply ingrained in us that it's hard to see outside of it. So when we feel that self-objectification happening, when we feel that split and the shame starts to rise up, think about how you've always responded to those disruptions before. So we go through these body image disruptions by the very nature of this objectifying environment, this culture that we live in, we will be reminded that we are visible, that we are being held and judged up against these really unrealistic, outrageous ideals for women. And when we can feel that and the shame that comes alongside that, think about how you've responded in the past. For a lot of women, it's going to be in simply hiding our bodies. So really physically, literally hiding. We will opt out of events, activities, sports, relationships, because we don't want to be seen. We'll stay in unhealthy relationships because we're just so grateful that someone's attracted to us. Like this is, 
this happens to so many people. And at the heart of it is really this deep body shame and self-objectification that keeps us stuck thinking of ourselves as just bodies. So think about the ways that you've coped and how ineffective they've been. All the dieting, all of the cosmetic surgery or enhancements, all of the addictive behaviors haven't really fixed us. And yet they are our default. So when you go back and you experience that shame again, just realize that the way you're tempted to respond is probably going to keep you in an uncomfortable comfort zone that doesn't serve you. And the next step is to let that shame, the pain that gets stirred up by those disruptions, let that be your reminder that now's the time to work. Now's the time to click in to this mindset that says, I am more than a body. My body is an instrument, not an ornament. And now I practice these skills that I have consciously gained and gathered throughout this process. The first thing I do, honestly, is to get into a more conscious and mindful headspace. So really basic breathing technique that gets you out of this abstract cloud of anxiety. Breathe in deeply through your nose, slowly through your mouth, and let your stomach relax. They call it soft belly breathing. And it has so many physiological positive effects that will get you back into your body, literally embodied. So you're no longer looking at your body from the outside as the stranger really critically judging yourself and you're inside the home of your body. Good. In the second you feel that disruption happen that kind of shakes you and you're back thinking about yourself from the outside, it happens consistently. It happens every day to most people. Once you feel that, you realize that it's uncomfortable. In our past, we swallowed that. It's just the price of being female. It's just the price of looking pretty, you know, whatever. We think, this is what it takes. I have to feel this shame. I have to be uncomfortable in my body. I have to be punishing myself and fixing myself. That's just all we know. It's all we've ever heard. And you can't blame yourself for feeling that way because it's the only answer we've ever been given. Even from the people who love us the most, our moms, our grandmas, our dads. You know, if you just lost some weight, I bet more boys would want to date you. You know, that's the stuff we hear. That's objectification. It is causing you to disconnect from your body as your home. And so in the second that you feel the shame rise up, you can practice feeling it, sitting with that shame, and then getting angry about it. Anger is part of the process. And for a lot of people coming into this work, that grief, that sadness, that anger, it might last years. And that's not a bad or wrong thing. That's an okay and good way to feel when you learn about the ways that you have been asked to live your life as half of yourself, as a portion of yourself instead of your whole self in your full power. So that anger, that can be your spark that pulls you back in. And then, you know, one thing I do is that when I feel that little bit of shame rise up, I practice gratitude for my body. It's such an easy, trite, cliche thing, and yet it is everything. I tried on a pair of jeans the other day that were way too tight. I have an 18-month-old baby. I have not had to wear jeans between baby and pandemic for so long. I tried on these jeans I used to wear, and they were so tight, and they didn't button at the top. And instead of what I used to do, which was immediately make plans for how I'm going to change because I'm out of control. I need to diet. I need to punish myself with exercise. I cannot go anywhere in public until these jeans fit again, even though nobody notices a few inches. And if they do, also who cares? Who cares? You know, who actually cares? Being able to practice some gratitude for my body, like literally do some lunges on the ground in that moment, out of the jeans. You want to be able to actually move, you know, not in the tight jeans. Being able to look down at these legs that have taken me through my entire life, kind of connects me back to that inner child, that little Lexi, who 
was so embarrassed of her little thighs. And if I could go back and tell her now, I would tell her, these little thighs are going to take you through the most amazing life. They're going to take you through really yucky, hard things and really amazing, good things. You're going to swim with them. You're going to feel the joy of moving them. And yeah, you're going to feel shame about them for a million reasons. Of course you are. And yet I look down at these legs. They're mine. They're mine. They're the only legs I'm ever going to have. And these were my baby Lexi legs. And being able to reconnect with your inner child with that little Lexi and heal her is such a beautiful way to flex that resilience. Mm. One Mm. of the ways to do that is to write a letter to that little girl, which we go over in the book. I shared the letter that I wrote and it's something that really touches my heart every time. And I think it, it really resonates with everybody, especially if you know a little girl and you can imagine what it's like to be that age. Think back to a time when you first felt embarrassed. Maybe find a picture that's around that same age and talk to her. You might talk out loud. You might record a voice note or write it down so that you can revisit it later. But tell her what you want her to know about herself and about her body. Talk to her about the kinds of things that she might face in that body, the kinds of things that are up against her that are going to convince her that that body is wrong, that it you know, causes negative thoughts in other people or warrants you know, unwanted attention and that it's wrong in all of these ways that your culture will teach you throughout your life. And tell her what you know and really believe about her, because those are things that you know in your heart right now. It's it's kind of this practice of connecting to your higher self. Like what is your more evolved, your most divine self? When you can connect with that larger perspective to see yourself, it helps you to heal what happened in your childhood that may inform how you feel right now. But it also reminds you that you're still her. And all of the things that she went through have shaped you into who you are today. And for that, I think we should be really grateful and proud of all that we've been through, especially in the face of so many disruptions and difficulties that our culture puts upon us every single day. Oh, yeah. The other thing I think that I think is just so incredibly powerful is I repeat our mantra every day. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And for me, And for so many people we've heard from, that little paradigm shift to embody yourself, your instrument is not perfect. If you face chronic illness, disability, injury, pain, we all do. It doesn't mean your instrument has to be perfect, but what it means is that it's yours. It is your tool to experience the world, to serve the world, to lead, to do, to be, to breathe. It's yours. And when you can come back into that, then even like your fitness goals change. All of a sudden, at least for me, And I know from all of our research and from the research of so many others that, especially for women, if you set fitness and health goals that are aesthetic, that have to do with the weight on the scale, your BMI, your dress size, your abs, your cellulite, whatever the thing is you want to fix, that is an unsustainable way to meet a goal. It is. You're taking an objectified measure of your health. You're measuring it from the outside, which is not your health. Your health and fitness are measured internally. It's how you feel. It's what you can do. It's your blood pressure. It's your cholesterol. Those things are fixed by using your body as an instrument, by just getting out there and moving when you can. In my own life, when COVID hit, I bought a treadmill and I decided that while not making any sort of aesthetic goal, I decided I needed to start moving my body. I wanted to be able to hike. I wanted to have more energy. I wanted better mental health. And so I started using that dang treadmill. And now for a long time, a year and a half, I have been inclining at a 15 on a treadmill and the endorphins that hit from being able to use your body and get a little bit sweaty, 
is everything. You don't feel that when you look down at a number on the scale, when you see the pants size you wanted to be wearing, you don't feel it. You just think, oh my gosh, I need to be able to maintain this or, or what, you know? So for me, being able to use my body as an instrument and practice the gratitude that comes with being able to do that, because there's times when I haven't been able to really painful childbirth sat me on the sidelines of my life for months. You know, we've all been there, but being able to think of yourself in a more instrumental way, it helps you get into a flow state. You can't get there when you're self-objectifying research shows that you can't work out as hard. Being able to get into that flow state, being able to experience your body, your muscles, your your creativity, it changes the game. It brings you back home to yourself every time. Mm. Oh my gosh, you guys, I could listen to you talk about this forever, <laughs> forever. It's also so, so like kind. It's so kind to your own good self, to your own yeah. like good body. It's such a different way to think about who we are and how we get to move through this earth and why. And so categorically different than everything we're taught and that we see. Guys, I know we're barely into the month of November, but I'm in Christmas tree mode. Every year I buy my kids an ornament that has to do with his or her experience that year. Or sometimes it's like a shared memory between us. And this is just a little tradition that's been ongoing at the Hatmaker house for years. And also something I'm starting with the nephews. Um, but this year we're also adding something else to the mix. We are going to make some Christmas decorations and ornaments. We are. So you may be familiar with KiwiCo's monthly subscription boxes that have you know, super cool like science and art and geography projects, not just for littles, but for bigs of all ages. But they also have gone elf on us with the magic of the season and are a one-stop gift shop. In fact, I just ordered a bunch of their holiday kits to make snowman wobblers, a little Christmas village, Santa's light up workshop. I'm here for it. I'm here for Christmas. I'm here for the stuff. These are fun hands-on projects. Plus the littles learn a thing or two along the way. My nephews love these. And these aren't just messy elbow macaroni projects, okay? These are legit high quality projects. So whether you want to give your own kids a channel for their natural creativity and curiosity, or maybe you're looking for a great Christmas gift subscription for your friends with kids, the KiwiCo is your answer. So this holiday season, you can give the gift of a fun, like hands-on holiday experience with KiwiCo. So you can get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code for the love at KiwiCo.com. So you guys, it's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com promo code for the love. This is such like a powerful body image conversation with Lexi and Lindsay. And I think so many of us can relate because we're wading through the, the waters of like objectification and an industry that banks on our insecurity and on our shame. And so, you know, we try so many ways of molding our bodies to some kind of aesthetic goal, but constantly feeling like we're falling short. So I want us to journey back to respecting and loving our bodies, ourselves, our souls, and not feel defined or confined, frankly, by a measuring stick. So if this is a part of your story, it can be helpful to have a partner in doing the work of feeling at home in our bodies again. 
and showing kindness to ourselves. A therapist really can be an advocate for you in this. And for a lot of us, this is really hard work, right? Unraveling the deeply ingrained thoughts and feelings and self-talk that most of us have internalized for basically entire lives. So BetterHelp, you guys, is an excellent resource for professional therapy. BetterHelp's licensed counselors have a broad range of expertise categories, self-esteem, body image, eating disorders, mental health, you name it. Also, BetterHelp feels like such a safe access point just to begin dipping your toe into therapy because it's all online and they can meet you wherever you are, literally. That means it's convenient, it's affordable, and it's accessible. So you just open up your laptop or hop on the phone and you are there. So you can start communicating with a better help therapist in under 24 hours. As one of my listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month of better help by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash for the love. You can join more than a million people, you guys who have taken charge of their mental health. So again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash for the love. I'm curious about your research. If there was anything that you guys stumbled upon or discovered that was surprising or that you didn't see coming or something that was really like a pivotal moment where you went, oh, we, we're really onto something here. What do you think, Linz? A surprising thing from our research for me was how many women self-objectified while also saying that they felt positively toward their bodies. So it's not very many people, but it was very distinct in the type of people and how they describe themselves. And it caught me off guard because, of course, we know that so many women feel really negatively about their bodies. And then you can see in the ways they describe themselves that it's overwhelmingly like, it's my love handles, it's my saggy stomach from having a child. It's all of these negative things, of course, an outsider's perspective. But there were a few women, just a handful, who said, I feel really good about my body. I think I look really good in a bikini. I think that you know, I worked really hard to have the body that I do and my husband really loves it. And so what they're doing still, they're self-objectifying, but they are saying that they love their bodies. And then as the study unfolded over the next six weeks, you hear them talking about the lengths that they have to go to, to uphold those ideals because their self-esteem, they feel like their relationships and their power is banking on them, living up to those ideals. And that is a really tricky place to be because you don't even know how hard it is while you're in it. Like sometimes it'll hit you, the energy, the money, the time, the effort, the real burden that weighs on you when you, it's a burden in every possible way when you have to carry and uphold those ideals. When you're forcing your body to fit a mold that maybe it doesn't naturally want to do. And unfortunately with that, what we're doing is we're kind of leveling up our expectations for ourselves every time we buy into those ideals. And every year that gets older, while we're still trying to keep the same body that we had when we were 22 and all of these things with our faces, with our hair, with everything. And people aren't aware of how difficult and taxing that is until you can see what a burden it has on your bank account and your energy because you want to dedicate it to other things. Or when you compare it to how your husband lives his life or how your sons are able to live their lives. And when you get passed up for promotions and opportunities, opportunities and everything that you want to do by people who don't put in that level of effort. Sometimes it becomes clear that maybe it's not as necessary as we think it is. And I think there's a little bit of freedom in that, in finding out that, wait, maybe I could be just as happy. Maybe my husband would still love me. Maybe I could still date and be healthy and successful without buying in and upholding these ideals that my body is 
as it ages and grows is fighting against. Yeah, I love this thing that Lindsay shares in the book that is inspirational to me. And it's this idea that I think can resonate with a lot of people. It's the idea that you can prove yourself wrong. That all of the fears we have learned about how out of control we are around food, how disgusting our bodies are, how aging, we have to age gracefully for women, you know, all the sexist crap we internalize, that there is a world in which you can push back on all of that. You can rebel against it and you can prove your worst fears wrong. Lindsay shares an example about in the book about moving to New York and being able, well, Lynn, should, should yeah, you say I'll, it in your words? Okay. <laughs> my whole example of moving to New York is one that is really prominent in my life because for so many years I wanted to move to New York, but it was kind of this faraway dream. And I always, in my early twenties, when I first visited New York, I had this picture in my mind of what I would look like when I lived there and what I would need to look like in order to be happy and successful and whatever. I'm 35 and single. And so I'm dating in New York and I've heard all the stories about just how shallow it is. And there's so many options for men and whatever. So that made me nervous. And for years, I, I kind of thought, well, I don't look like I think I should to really be successful and make the most of my time in New York. And that kind of subconsciously held me back, even though I wasn't, even though I was doing all this body image work and, you know, teaching people to be brave and push back against their ideals and expectations, prove themselves wrong. But what it really takes is doing it for yourself. I can tell people all day long not to be worried and to try and see how it goes. But my resilience process, as I went throughout the years, really from the ages of about 21 to 30. Those were the years when I really put all this stuff to the test. When I went swimming with my boyfriend and my friends, even though I was so embarrassed for them to see me in a swimming suit. And when I took opportunities to speak in public, to talk about body image in national and international forums where people can see my body and then commenters on the internet will talk endlessly about how you know, too fat to know what you're talking about or too pretty to know what you're talking about, you can't win. So I had to prove to myself that I could push back against all those expectations, all the fears that I had built into my life about what it meant to be in a fatter body than I expected to be in at this point in my life. And I proved myself wrong by actually doing it, by finding out that I could be successful, have a really great time dating, have a lot of, you know, really interesting and awesome romantic moments in the city, to walk down the street, to have a great career beyond what I thought was possible in this body or any body. But I wouldn't know it unless I did it. And it it really has just emboldened me to tell people that, yeah, I do have a lot of privilege. I do have a lot of things that buoy me up against a lot of the negative things that other people would face in this world. But a lot of people listening to this podcast today also have a lot of privilege. They have people that love them and they love a lot of people. They have great relationships and good help and people in their lives who will support them regardless of whether or not they diet their lives away and get every cosmetic enhancement and procedure. And if we're able to make some sacrifices in our lives to not live up to every ideal and look like we think we need to look, that's when we find out that we can not only relieve the pressure from ourselves, but we can relieve the pressure in our families, our communities, the institutions that we're a part of, because then people will see that they don't have to live their lives worshiping every ideal that we think we need to in order to be happy and successful and loved. Yeah, we've proven that ourselves in our own lives, we're both fatter than we planned on. If somebody had told me at age 21, if they showed me at 35 and it was just uh, my weight, 
I would say, oh my gosh, she's not doing great. She's off the wagon. I bet she's really sad. What's going on in her life? And instead, I sit here with all the privilege in the world with like the best marriage and babies and career and all of it, not because of my body, not in spite of my body, just as my body being a part of me. And that that idea that you can prove yourself and all of those fears wrong is so powerful because it happens on an individual level, but it buoys us up collectively. Like we talk and we write about the fact that how much has the world lost because women have devoted a significant portion of our time, energy, money, and power to our bodies as our prisons, you know, as just decorating these prison walls, thinking this is the best we can have. How much has the world lost from women missing from our own lives, from living inside our own bodies, stepping into our power, as cliche as that is? And alternatively, what does the world have to gain? And Lindsay and I are not drowning in despair doing this work. We have so much hope because we truly believe and we see the power of resilience as this opportunity for women to take their power back from a world that has stripped it from them. And for them instead to feel that pain from the objectification that inevitably follows us living in these bodies and to turn it on its head, to use it for our gain. You feel that pain come up and instead you say, no, I do not deserve to feel this pain. This has been put on me by people and institutions that do not care about me, that want to take away my power. I'm coming back. And it's this opportunity to come back home, to be you, to prove yourself wrong and to do the thing anyway, whether it's as small as like going swimming with your kids or your friends or going to the store without makeup on, whatever the thing is, by not getting the Botox this time, like whatever the thing is, you can prove yourself wrong and prove that you are still you. You can be more you without it. And then we get a little bit more of your time and power and presence back when you're not hiding and fixing your life away. Community, I recently shared that church feels complicated for me right now, like not Jesus, but church. And it struck a chord because so many of you messaged and commented and shared that you're just in a similar place. Jesus I know and believe is near and good and dear wherever you are and however you are, but maybe prayer even feels complicated or new or hard to right now. So here's a little something I want to encourage you with. Sarah Young, the best-selling, most wonderful author who wrote Jesus Calling, uh, which by the way, has sold more than 35 million copies around the world. Sarah recently sent me a copy of her new 365 day prayer devotional called Jesus listens. And it just hit the shelves and it's really and truly a gem. What I love about Jesus listens is that it's written from the vantage point of you praying to God. So whether you're new to the practice of prayer or you have been praying for years, Jesus listens is created to lead you into a deeper, richer, truer, and more continual conversation with God. Um, so you can get Jesus Listens anywhere books are sold. This is actually perfect timing for early Christmas shopping, stocking stuffers, a gift for your friends or your family, or honestly, for yourself. It's a good one, beloveds. I love this. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to wrap this up. These are three questions that I'm asking everybody in this particular series. 
And I'd like to hear from both of you on it. It's just kind of like whatever comes up, just pop your head, okay. popcorn it up to me. So here's the, here's the first question. Lindsay, you can answer for what is maybe the number one thing or your favorite thing that you, you personally do to honor you. And it could be anything. It could be a speech you give yourself. It could, I don't even know what it is. Self-indulgent. It can be silly. It can be big. It can be small, but whatever. What is the thing that you say, this is for me? I like to, this is cheesy, but just recenter myself by listening to music and either going for a walk or sitting up on my roof and just looking at the view and Mm -hmm. kind of count my blessings a little bit. I try to Mm -hmm. remember where was I five years ago? Would I have imagined where I'm at right now? And just kind of reconnect with this idea that like, I'm doing pretty good. You get caught up in the day to day, but everything's actually pretty fine. And that's amazing. And also this is really cheesy. I'm just so grateful to live in New York. I love it so much. And it's really been just like an amazing change in my life. And so before I go to bed, I think Lexi saw this when I was here. I always, when I'm closing the blinds, I just say, good night, New York. I love you. (laughs) I mean, listen, you don't have to explain that to me. I go to New York a lot and there's 100% of the time I play the, I could live here game 100% of the time. And I pick out my apartments and my brownstones and I find my little stores that I'm going to go to. And I'm just positive that I would just be moony and swoony. The whole time. You should. Even when I ever get there. Yes. yes. I know. I know. I, I believe you. How about you, Lexi? Oh, man. Mine is seems so small, too. But every day when my nanny takes my babies away, I, instead of working, I mean, I do some work, of course, but I will, I'll work out. I'll do a quick video or get on the treadmill. And then I go get a Diet Coke from McDonald's who has the best Diet Coke mm-hmm. of all time. And I drive around and I kind of do what Lindsay did. I go on a little drive and I count my blessings and it reinvigorates me. The endorphins are Mm -hmm. pumping. It's so good. I respect that. Okay. Here's (laughs) the next question. I don't even know if you'll have an answer for this. You can just reach for one. There's probably lots. What's the tip top way you make peace with yourself and you love your mind and your body and your spirit that you get to walk around on this earth? And what's, what is it that you do? I think mine is, is our mantra. It's on my mirror and it's on my daughter's mirror. My body is an instrument, not an ornament. So when I see myself, even if I'm not loving what I see, which is a lot of the time, my body is an instrument, not an ornament and just say it. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I think going to therapy is one of those things. Sometimes even when I don't feel like I need it, I'm not overly stressed out or whatever. I'll do it and I'll talk through some things maybe I didn't expect. And it just feels like a little gift to myself that is a very privileged gift, obviously, but it, it's a nice way to just like think about yourself and talk about yourself for a minute when it's easy to be distracted by everything else all the time. Your problems are always like they're front and center, but you don't understand the root of them or even that they are problems sometimes. So to talk it through sometimes reminds you that like, all right, this is something that could be fixed. Where did it start? Let's fix it. You know? Mm, I could not agree more. I always know I'm in for it when I'm talking to my therapist. And also when I'm feeling like I'm in a pretty, I'm in a pretty good space this week. I think this is going to be an easy one. And I say something, she kind of takes a little breath and she sort of leans, you know, leans and I'm, I'm curious. And I'm like, Oh no, (laughs) Oh, now I've done it. She's curious. Oh, ah, totally. I, say, oh, I love that. What's in here? 
Okay, uh-huh. last one. And I ask all my guests in every single series this final question. And we literally have gotten every kind of response in the world from the most dear, earnest thing to the most absurd. And so we take it all. That's uh-huh. a question from Barbara Brown Taylor. And so it's this, what's saving your life right now? The Real Housewives <laughs> franchises. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. What's your favorite one? Right now, Real Housewives of Potomac is is doing it for me. Yeah. It's so outrageous. It's just so outrageous in a delicious it's such way. such a great escape. Yeah. It's so good. Like reality TV is the way to see women that wouldn't ever be cast in anything else. And I love <laughs> <Totally>. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. How about you, Lindsay? I'm trying to decide between a pop culture thing mm. and then just simply this very thin cotton robe that I've been yeah. wearing every day. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's just like bright colors. Uh-huh. It looks like a shirt yeah. on Zoom yeah. for work. And sometimes you could like throw on a pair of leggings and run down to like get it. the mail or a delivery. Mm. But mm-hmm. it is it has pockets and uh-huh. it's just really making my life a lot easier. And it's very hot here right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. So I just need very little to wear. I deeply mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. this. As mm-hmm. someone who also works from home and lives my life on Zooms, well, obviously I've thrown in the towel. I mean, I'm just wearing a t-shirt. I, I, I can't, no. I can't try anymore, though. you guys. I can't do it. I just can't do it. <laughs> but if I had a thin little cotton robe, it like looks yeah. like, look at me. I'm fancy. I'm fancy. So good. You know, yes. but I'm not going to sweat through yes. it. I really commend exactly. you on your, your choices there. <laughs> Girls, thank you for your work in the world. I. I'm here to like bang the drum for your thank you book, for your messaging, for your paradigm shifting research. I'm thrilled to have introduced you to my community. Before we sign off, can you just tell my listeners where to find you, where to find your stuff, all that? Yeah. Yeah. So our book is more than a body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. You can find that literally anywhere books are sold. It's in hardcover and it's also on audio and Kindle ebook, whatever, everywhere. So look for that. That's our, the best thing we've ever done. I think we also are on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined and on Facebook and on Twitter at take back beauty. Those are the main ways. Our website is more than a body.org for more information for our online course, speaking engagements. We love those. So get in touch if you have a group for us. Yep. 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 I'll have all that in one spot. We're on the show. You You guys, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for your incredible time. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for going to school for 10 solid years so that (laughs) we could learn this stuff. Like that's no joke. Okay. That is a no joke. That was no joke. Um, That means a lot. I'm like, God, better them than me. Now I just get to reap the fruits. Yes, um, which please. I love. So I am so, so grateful for your time today. Next time you're in Austin, next time in your town, I'd love to meet you in person. Yeah. Oh, you're Absolutely. so great. Thank you, yes, Jen. You you're amazing. You are. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. This is one to share. Listen to it yourself, share it with your friends, let your daughters listen to this, give this to your sisters. We just have to take this ground back. We just do, you know, if not us, who, who's going to do it? I'm like I said, in the interview, we're not, we can't wait for the beauty industry to do it. Why? We can't wait for social media to reverse in on itself. This is our work. 
And I want it to be said of our generation that we did it, that we helped shift the story that we told our daughters that they'll eventually tell theirs. And you guys, if you go over to jinhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, you'll find this entire episode. You'll find the show notes. We'll have links to all of Lexi and Lindsay's work and websites and socials and everything. Just one place. You can get it all. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for being a part of a conversation that I think really matters. And thank you for being a great community here at the show. If you haven't already subscribed, hit subscribe, man. Like this whole series for the love of you is a good one. We really lined up. I think some of the best like teachers and healers and leaders in the field. So subscribe and you won't have to keep finding it. It'll just show up for you. All right. So guys, on behalf of all of us, we are, as always, thrilled to bring you this show week in and week out. We want it to matter. We want it to mean something to you. We want to talk about the things that we care about and you care about and that will fulfill you or enrich your life or at the bare minimum, entertain you. (laughs) And I love to do it. I love it. I love you. And I love this space. Hey, you guys, see you next week.